Welcome to the 90th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will discuss Major League Baseball playoff action and talk about the first week and a half of the NBA season. So let's jump right in with a look at Major League Baseball playoff action, starting with a look back at the National League Championship Series, where the Atlanta Braves defeated the world champion Los Angeles Dodgers four games to two. In Game 6, the only game we did not cover on the podcast yet, Atlanta won 4-2. The Dodgers did not capitalize on a few opportunities in this game, while Eddie Rosario, who was the NLCS MVP, came through in the Braves' one big opportunity uh, after a two-out double and then a... or a two-out walk and then a double. Uh, He hit a three-run home run on, I believe, a 3-2 pitch. Uh, and that was all Atlanta needed. That was breaking a tie of 1-1 to one to make it 4-1. to one. The Dodgers got one run back, but could not score with second and third and zero outs in the same inning that they got the one run back, and that marked the end of the Dodgers' season. Uh, just failed, missed opportunities. So, uh, a disappointing end to the season for the Dodgers, but, I mean, the Braves just outplayed them this series. I think it's really that simple. I mean, there were some injuries that bothered the Dodgers, but the Braves don't want to hear that because they will say, well, we have Ronald Acuna and Marcelo Zuna out, and regardless of how well Eddie Rosario is playing, uh, you could make the same argument that imagine if they had Rosario, Acuna, and Ozuna as opposed to just Rosario doing all this. That would make a really, really good team, so the Braves definitely could be better. They're also missing some pitching that they've had uh, out for all season. The only difference is most of the Dodgers' injuries came in the playoffs or right before the playoffs, so they couldn't really go out and trade to get replacements for those guys. But the Braves' front office did a great job at getting replacements for the guys that they knew were out. And the Dodgers did try to get some replacements and some long-term insurance with Max Scherzer, uh, with Trey Turner, but that actually did not end up working out. I mean, they lost the series, and I think it's safe to say that looking back on it, Atlanta won the trade deadline, and because of it, they might end up winning the World Series. Yeah, um... Dodgers really were uh, climbing from a hole with the wild card the way it impacted their pitching staff. And Max Scherzer was supposed to start this game. He didn't start game six because he had a, quote, dead arm, which leads to some questionable managing decisions. Meanwhile, on the other side, the Braves, you mentioned the uh, the walk and the double before the three-run homer. Um, the walk was to the eight-hitter. You don't walk the eight-hitter. And then the Braves made a gutsy managerial call, pinch hitting, even though they were uh, in a tight game, taking their starting pitcher out. And pinch hitter came. He was pitching pretty well. He's pitching very well. Pinch pinch hitter came through with a double, and then the uh, so another big hit in a clutch situation, and uh, then another then the clutch three run homer, and the Dodgers, as you said, really didn't seem to get the big hit when they needed it like the Braves did. And from a managerial standpoint, I would say the uh, Dave Roberts didn't push the right buttons this postseason. It happens. Uh, Hats off to the Braves. They completely outplay the Dodgers. Dodgers had a great regular season, but no repeat World Championship. Uh, and I will say, I think Dave Roberts this isn't the first time he's pushed the wrong buttons in the playoffs, and I don't think it will be the last. Um, and, you know, it's really hard to repeat in baseball. Uh, if you look at it, there have been five different streaks of repeating teams in the NBA since the last time a team repeated champion, as World Series champions. That was the 2000, uh, 2001 Yankees, obviously, comes to mind. The the Heat with, uh, with LeBron in the Big Three, and... The Warriors uh, and the Spurs, too. There are a lot of teams that repeated, and the Lakers even a few times in that span. So there are a lot of teams that have repeated in other leagues, but that's just not something that you see very often uh, in the MLB and, frankly, in the NFL, too. But the MLB is kind of special in that case, That uh, especially because it's so hard to make the playoffs. There's no such thing as a team 
kind of playing a little bit under expectations in the play in the regular season, but still making it to the playoffs, the way that the wild card game screws with your rotation, it's a really hard hole to dig out of when you don't play your best in the regular season and you don't play like the champions, as opposed to just maybe missing out on a bye week in the NFL. Uh, and it makes it super hard to repeat. And the Dodgers weren't able to go through that hard road, could not win on the road when they needed to. Uh, Atlanta has won 10 of their last 11 games at home. Thing, thing that's interesting to note uh, heading into the World Series. Yep. Well, hats off to the Braves. So they win 4-2. to two. And who are they going to face in the World Series? Well, the American League Championship Series also was a four games to two series. With the Astros returning to the World Series, beating the Red Sox in that four games to two tally. Game six was the other game that we didn't cover on this series either. Houston won five to nothing. Uh, got out of the series a day earlier than Atlanta did, and uh, I guess they get some extra rest and they get to stay at home, which is somewhat important. And uh, I mean, look, Houston just in this final game, they just pitched very, very well. Uh, they got enough hits. I mean, frankly, they even had more opportunities that it could have cashed in on, uh, but that didn't matter because all that matters is that they won the game, and that's what they did. Um, Houston has really just played well all season. They've never really had a down streak, and if they have, it's been very, very short. They've had a lot more long, sustained periods of winning a lot of games in a row than they have losing even two or three in a row. So this is not all too surprising that they're doing well in the playoffs. And meanwhile, the Red Sox did have a lot of stretches this year where they were a little bit down, and then a lot of them were, I mean, they controlled the division by a, by a massive amount of games early in the season and then fell all the way back to, and then were very, very close for a while and then fell all the way back to like 10 games back, looked like they were going to miss the playoffs, got hot again, barely made the playoffs, uh, beat the Yankees in the in the wild card game where they only won home field advantage by the season tiebreaker of a one win of one win in that series, and then they just couldn't quite resurrect that home field magic uh, that they had in that wild card game against the Yankees and in the and in the series against the Rays, winning twice on walk offs. Uh, they couldn't resurrect it against the Astros in this series, and uh, they won only one game at home, and that's a recipe for disaster. Uh, they started the series off with the right formula by taking one of the games on the road, something that the Dodgers didn't do, which made it really, really hard. They started off one-to-one, but where the Dodgers won two out of three at home and almost made the series close again, uh, Houston was able to win two of three on the road uh, at the Red Sox, and then all of a sudden they went back home with a 3-2 lead and were just had to go one-and-one one again at home to close it out, and they did it in the first game and in the series pretty easily. Uh, again, great pitching bounce backs at the end of the series from Houston. Their first game one and game two starters did not pitch well. Uh, and then in the last, well, actually, frankly, all of their starters didn't pitch well until game four or five. And then in game five and game six, Framber Valdez and Luis Garcia had great bounce back games and really led this team uh, to this win, other than obviously your Don Alvarez's amazing series that was Really only not talked about enough just because Eddie Rosario was having an otherworldly series <laughs> against the Dodgers, but both of them were were just next level. I think 13 hits for Eddie Rosario and 12 for Jordan Alvarez in the AL side, so uh, pretty crazy stats there. And I mean, Jordan probably played his way into, into playing even in left field when there's no DH um, for Houston, which is going to be something interesting. And honestly... It's interesting going into the World Series. You never know. Uh, Atlanta might be better suited at this point to play with the DH than Houston is. Well, so a couple things. Um, on that point, uh, it's probably very big for Atlanta 
in a negative way that Boston didn't win that series because they would have had home field advantage. You talked about how good Atlanta is at home, and I actually think that um, not that that having the DH in four games is in a matchup between Houston and Atlanta probably would hurt. It probably is more advantageous to Houston. Houston's probably hurt more by not uh, having the DH um, than Atlanta. The other thing you mentioned, the, the ALCS uh, was sort of emblematic of the Red Sox season. They get they are very streaky. So they get very hot and very cold, and they got very hot at the end of the season, wild card against the Rays in the first three games of this series, and then totally cold. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out in the World Series. Let's talk about the World Series, where the Astros and Braves, as of the recording of this podcast, are tied one game apiece. Yep, both teams came out and absolutely owned the other team in one game. Uh, Atlanta won the first game of the series 6-2, to two, and Houston won the second game of the series 7-2. to two. Uh, I mean, really, both games, it's just one team took advantage of opportunities, hit a few solo home runs, hit a, got a few big hits. Uh, one team in, in Houston in the first game made a bunch of dumb mistakes. Yuli Gurriel made some bad slides and fumbled a ground ball. And then in game two, uh, Atlanta did the same thing and weren't really able to field well. They had some issues. They were making some not great plays. And I mean, it's very interesting how game one and game two were basically a mirror of each other just by different teams. Um, but, I mean, this series started off looking all Atlanta as I think the Braves scored three runs in the first inning. Also, uh, Jorge Soler leading off the series with a home run. It did not look good uh, for the Astros right off the bat as he got that home run on a, two, on a 2-0 pitch. Then Austin Riley doubled in Ozzie Albies to make it 2-0 at the end of the first inning. And by the end of the third, it was 5 to nothing Atlanta. Um, they also set a record for being the first team to score in all three innings of the fir- or the, all three of the first innings, all, all of the first three innings, very hard phrasing, um, in the World Series in a game one. So uh, Atlanta came out, played very, very well. Houston kind of fought back in the game, ended up making it 6-2, made it a little more respectable, but Atlanta came out and dominated it. However, they did lose Charlie Morton in this game for the series, and I mean, I guess the season, because this is the end of the season at the end of the series, but... That's a big loss, but I mean, they got through one game with him and got a win out of it, so I wouldn't consider it a success, but uh, I think they'll take it for now, and you know, they'll have to deal with the re- the, the repercussions of that later. Uh, in game two, the Astros came out, played very well, uh, lost, the for the Braves, they lost a Max Freed start, which now that Charlie Morton's out, that is a big deal. I think they felt good being set up with a win under their belt with Morton, with Morton having already pitched and Freed not pitching. In a Freed or Keeney matchup, the Braves have to feel really good going into that game. They didn't win that game, which could be a key turning point in the series, as we, we might see. Um, but the Astros came out. Uh, they got a run in the first inning, went up one to nothing, and then Darno hit a solo home run, tied the game up at one, and after that, it was pretty much all Astros uh, in the second inning, scoring four runs to make it 5-1 to one by the end of the game, winning 7-2. to two. So the Astros just played better. Uh, my key to the series was Eddie Rosario out-hitting Jordan Alvarez so far in the series. Uh, <laughs> really nothing from either of them, to be honest. Uh, Eddie Rosario was 0-4 in Game 2. Uh, Jordan Alvarez was 0-2 with a walk in Game 2. So very, very interesting from both of them. Uh, they, they really haven't been what what I thought would be uh, key pieces of the series. Although, at the same time, I did say, you know what you're going to get from everybody else, and that's the reason why they are the keys. And in Game 1, Eddie Rosario did get two hits, and Jordan Alvarez only got one. So, 
still hit or one one hit and one walk. So uh, Eddie Rosario is out hitting Jordan Alvarez. So from my prediction, that means that it's tr- this series is trending Braves. <laughs> well, um, it'll be interesting to see that, like you said, that Morton injury. He got hit uh, in the leg with a ball, fractured his leg. Usually, it does usually you don't have that big of an impact, but it fractured his leg. Um, Probably won't show up until the game, if it goes to seven games, maybe six games, that impact will be seen due to the off days. Max Fried, I think, can pitch game six. It might really impact the Braves if it goes seven games. But we will know what happens when we take a look at Major League Baseball a week from now. Uh, the World Series will be over, and we will reflect back on it in our podcast a week from now. Let's now move on to the NBA, where we will have some of Patrick's impressions after the first week and a half of action. So, Patrick, let's start off. Give me some of your most surprising teams so far. I will go with two in the Western Conference to start off with, and then, well, we'll see what my opinion looks like after after thinking of how impressive these teams are. I'll start with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, not a team you expected to be 3-1 and one at this point in the year. I think you kind of have to be a little bit crazy to predict that. Um, but uh, kind of an easy schedule, I will say. Uh, they played the Rockets in their first game, so that's a pretty easy game for them. The Timberwolves are the Timberwolves two years ago were in the position that the Rockets are in this year, so the Timberwolves pretty much have a two-year head start on that. Um, but then they played the Pelicans twice, split that little mini series, as you can call it. But they only made this list because they beat the Bucks on the road, which was a good win from this team. Uh, again, if you were two and one against the Rockets and the Pelicans, I really don't care. Um, but a win against the Bucks is pretty good. I mean, you can't really ask for more than beating the defending champions. So, uh, regardless of them not playing very well in the fourth quarter and almost blowing that lead and giving up 40 points to Giannis on very efficient shooting, they found a way to win the game, and that's really all that matters. And Minnesota will roll in uh, to a Saturday matchup with the Nuggets at 3-1, and one, and we'll see what happens in that game because I believe the Nuggets will be playing the second end of a back-to-back, uh, and that will be very, very interesting as they play at home tonight, and then play on the road in Minnesota tomorrow. That's a tough turnaround, and we'll have to see how that game turns out, but Denver's going to be tired, I can tell you that much, and Minnesota might get lucky because they haven't played since Wednesday. So they are very well rested. They are at home. Meanwhile, the Nuggets are going to be scrambling and uh, turning around from uh, an interesting game against the Mavericks in primetime tonight uh, and also on the road on short notice. So that's the first team I'm going with. The second team I'm going with, uh, well... A little side note, I would put the Warriors on here if I didn't tab them as one of the most impressive teams going into the season, one of the teams that I thought would be one of the top teams. I did not necessarily put them in my conference finals, but I actually just believe that they're that they're going to be in this. I, I think you can lock them for the semifinals, though. I do think this team will win a series. I think that's almost a lock, um, but uh, I can't tell you against two, but they, I think they do have what it takes to win a series. Um, and then I think it really comes down to who they play in the conference finals. If they play the Lakers, maybe it's the Lakers. If they don't play the Lakers, maybe they do make it. But I do believe that that Warriors team is very, very good. So I'm not going to put them up there for being four and one on the year. However, the Memphis Grizzlies are three and two on the year after beating Golden State last night in an overtime game. Uh, look, I'm very impressed by a team clawing out a win in that game. And I mean, Memphis has played really, really well, mostly behind John Morant. Uh, they won They won against the Cavs game one, okay, whatever, but then they won against the Clippers, then they only lost by three against the Lakers, they had another bad game against the Trailblazers, but they won in overtime against the against the Warriors, they did not beat themselves. Um, that is what is very, very important to me. 
Uh, and really, it's just a good win against a, another good team. And, you know, Memphis has played well the last few years. Uh, they were in the play-in. Well, they were actually in both play-ins, the only two years that they've had them. They made it all the way into the playoffs last year, took a game off the Jazz. But I think this team can still ask for more because they're a young team, and every year they should be improving. There should be no regression from one year to the next. But I am still impressed that they gave an undefeated Golden State team uh, their first loss of the year. Obviously, they, Golden State was going to lose at some point. No one's going 8-2-0 and two and oh ever. But... And frankly, this is not the Golden State team that set the wins record at 73, but uh, it's still a very impressive win for Memphis, and uh, I I think they deserve praise for that. The next team I'm going to go with, I don't think this should be too surprising, but good for the Knicks for actually having their offseason moves pay off. Uh, They're not having the issue that maybe no one really predicted they would have, but that you could kind of foresee happening where... You have Kemba Walker, you have Julius Randle coming off a most improved player season where he fe- feels like he probably should have been an MVP candidate, and he was, uh, but not not necessarily a top finalist there. Uh, you sign Evan Fournier, too. That combo of Walker and Fournier did not work so well in Boston, but you put those two together again, you get Derrick Rose, you get, you you or you don't get them, but you keep Derrick Rose, you keep R.J. Barrett, you get Mitchell Robinson back from injury, And you think there might be too much around. I mean, I just named six players that are really, really good and pretty much on the same level as each other. I mean, Kemba Walker is obviously kind of the all-star, the captain there with Julius Randle too. But there are a lot of good players on that team and the Knicks have somehow put it all together. They've played good minutes all together. They've had good chemistry all year. Uh, They had a few defensive slip-ups to allow the Celtics to get some open looks to take the first game to overtime, actually to double overtime, but they cleaned it up. Uh, They beat the Magic in their second game, then they lost the Magic. But then I was really impressed with their win over Philadelphia. That was uh, something that I didn't see coming. I thought that Philadelphia, who has traditionally owned the Knicks recently, uh, was going to play pretty well against them. And then they also got a win on the road against the Bulls on Thursday, similarly to how Memphis got the road uh, got the road win over the Warriors. That was the Bulls' first loss of the season. The Bulls were 4-0 and going into that game against the Knicks. And uh, speaking of the Bulls, I will also put them in this category because... I actually thought, I mean, we talked about it before the season. I think you might remember that when we were talking about free agency, I said that I didn't really believe the Bulls hype as a top four seed or anything. I didn't think that they were going to be on the same level as a team like the Knicks. And uh, only one point of separation, apparently. Uh, So I I think the Bulls have really proven that what they have right now is going to work out. I still think that even a team like Miami, who's been been playing really well, uh, the Knicks themselves... Also, you got to look at Philly, you got to look at Milwaukee, and you got to look at Brooklyn, and you can still say they're probably not going to be a top four seed, but they could definitely be fighting with the Knicks, the Heat, uh, and obviously themselves to get that spot. So uh, the the Knicks and the Heat, or not the Heat, sorry, the Bulls, are probably the most impressive four and one teams I would say relative to their expectations. Although Washington also makes a close argument for that too. All right. Well, who do you? Who's the best team that has a losing record? Well, it's obvious. It's the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, two and three on the season. Although they should be three and three soon because they're playing the Pacers, and uh, the Pacers are one and four, not very good. <laughs> um, I mean, the the record is very indicative of that team's talent level. However, uh, they are still underachieving right now. They're not playing too well, uh, but I think they'll figure it out soon. James Harden has looked like he really needs to figure out how to adjust to the refs calling this stuff, uh, calling fouls differently this year. 
It's not like the whole sticky stuff thing in the MLB where the, the where the adjustment came in the middle of the season, so he should have been prepared for this because they said they were going to stop calling <laughs> fouls in the offseason uh, in a lot of different situations. But he still looked a little bit off this year, but Kevin Durant hasn't missed a beat, and I'm sure this team will rebound soon, and I'm sure at some point they might get Kyrie back, and that might help them a lot too. Um, but for now, they're still a good enough team that they shouldn't be 2-3. and three. Although you could say the same thing about the Lakers. I just think that the Lakers, with LeBron's injury, get a little more leeway for me. And also, they've played a pretty decent schedule to open up the year. Um, but, I, I mean, if the Lakers lose against the Cavs, though, at home, now, now, you're, now you're talking about a very bad team with a, with a losing record. And also, I think the Nets are better than the Lakers at this point. They've shown a lot more to me. I mean, I'll, I'll give the Lakers the benefit of the doubt, but they're definitely not the best team with a, with a losing record right now. So they're the second place team there, but obviously my two finals picks that I'm already wanting to go back on, although I said they're my picks, but I'm going to be wrong uh, and gave that caveat. Still early. It's still early, but I, I can start backing off a little bit already. Okay. Uh, flip side, worst team that has a winning record. Cleveland Cavaliers, not close. This team should not be 3-2, and two, but, I mean, so is the way the East, uh, although Detroit is 0-4, uh, Indiana's 1-4, Orlando is 1-4. There are definitely bad teams in the East, and they are not playing well uh, and don't have good records to show for it. Uh, Cleveland's on the opposite end of that. They have the same record as Philadelphia, as Atlanta, as Milwaukee. Uh, that's a little bit crazy. So uh, I think it's fair to say that that is the worst team uh, with a winning record, and really beyond them, I think maybe, I mean, I don't know, maybe you could go to Minnesota, but I'll say Minnesota has good enough wins that it's really just an easy schedule. I wouldn't say they're worse than the Cavaliers. I actually think they're built a little bit better uh, with D'Angelo Russell, with Anthony Edwards, and with Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, they're not exactly a big three, but instead of a big three of tier one guys, they're really a big three of tier two guys. They're like if you went to Walmart and bought the Lakers, as opposed to going to the Lakers, <laughs> as opposed to going to uh, to wherever the Lakers go to get their players from, I mean, you know, a little more easy to sign their free agents uh, if you're in LA. But uh, I think Minnesota really has something good there. And you know, if all of these teams play their peak, uh, if all these players play at their peaks, they could be as good of uh, as good as good as a big three. I mean, they've all been all stars in the past, uh, and Carl Anthony Towns is kind of crept into MVP conversations on and off before getting injured a lot before. And D'Angelo Russell's had some good years. And Anthony Edwards is a number one overall pick for a reason. So a lot of talent there. We'll see if they can keep it together. Um, but for now, I'm still going to go with the Cavs because lower pick, no number one overall pick in a while, although they should have had it for actually a few times because of their terrible records. But uh, I'll go with Cleveland for that, for that matter. All right, these next two questions may be a little redundant given – some of our prior questions and, and uh, the teams you've mentioned, but uh, name some teams or a team that is uh, underachieving. I think I'll go with the Lakers on this one for Not sure. Um, also the Nets, but the Nets have played a little bit of a harder schedule. Although, really, you could go to either LA team here. Um, the Clippers are also 1-3. The Lakers are 2-3, and three, so at least the Lakers got one extra win. However... The Lakers do easily have the worst loss of the year because they lost to the Thunder. Uh, and they are the Thunder's only win of the year. And that is not something that you want to claim. Uh, so, especially when you're a team that's supposed to be contending for a title. Uh, and again, LeBron was out. But, uh, I, I mean, we've seen some good signs from Russell Westbrook playing pretty well without LeBron on the floor. 
but they need to figure out how to play with all three of them because the team is not the best when they play with just two of the three. And if they can't figure out, if they're worse playing with three, with all all three of those players, AD, LeBron, and Russ on the floor at the same time, they might need to trade one of them because there is no point in keeping all three if you play worse with all three. But they can't just have only two of them because if you only have two of them, that's not a good sign. You're too injured and you're not going to beat the other teams. They're, they're, the rest of the teams are just too good. Uh, for you to beat them with that. Um, So I'll go with the Lakers for one underachieving team. And then the Clippers lost the first game of the year to the Warriors. Uh, Then they lost a game. And by the way, the Warriors, I believe, were playing a back-to-back, but or maybe their second game in three days. So still a little bit surprising. Uh, Steph Curry absolutely killed them (laughs) in that first game. Then they lost to the Grizzlies. They killed the Trailblazers, but they lost to the Cavaliers and only scored 79 points at home. That is an embarrassing loss. You cannot lose 92 to 79 to the Cavaliers on your home floor. That can't happen. If the Clippers want to be a team to prove me wrong in my preseason predictions, how I felt that they were a good team who could slide from the playoff picture, they need to start cleaning it up soon. But I'm not honestly sure that they will. I really do think that this it's possible that this is the Cleveland we are not the Cleveland. They they, they look like Cleveland though. Uh, th- I I wouldn't be surprised that this is the Clippers team that we see all year. I would not be surprised if they don't play that well uh, and kind of surprise people with how bad they are and maybe kind of stumble into the playoffs like the Lakers did last year, barely making it, losing out on a bunch of seeding tiebreakers, playing in the play-in game, and maybe sputter out in the first round. I think that's definitely possible. Uh, and then you know, I would. I mean. I feel like I should put Phoenix here just because they're also 1-3, and, and frankly, by results, they're actually supposed to be a better team than the Lakers or the Clippers, having beaten both of them uh, in the playoffs last year, but I feel like they get a little bit of an excuse for their little finals hangover, and they did beat the, Laco- and they did beat the Lakers, so that's something important about uh, their season to date. So I'll give them the benefit of the doubt for beating the Lakers, uh, although they did lose to the Trailblazers, they also lost to the Kings, and they lost to the Nuggets, so uh, the Nuggets and Trailblazers hard games, but you can definitely say that they should easily be beating teams like the Sacramento Kings, although Kings have not played that bad to start the season either. Uh, But I'd go with those teams in the West as easily the most underachieving team so far. And then maybe in the East, you could slide in Milwaukee for only being 3-2. and You could say they're not good enough for what they should be. Uh, You could go ahead and say that for... You could say kind of that same thing, honestly, for uh, Philadelphia... But I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that I'll, I'll stick with all those teams in the West. All right, and what about uh, overachieving teams so far in the season? Well, I'll say Minnesota and Memphis definitely fit that bill. We've already talked about them enough, though. Um, maybe I'll, I can throw in Sacramento here for being 2-2 two and two after playing four playoff teams in the West to start the year. Uh, a pretty hard schedule to start the year, and yet still not doing all too terribly throughout it. Uh, they were able to scrape out a win uh, against the Suns and against the Trailblazers on the opening night of the season uh, by three losses to the Jazz, losses to the Warriors, but they stayed close in all of those games, and they also choked the game uh, in the Trailblazers game and the Suns game, almost blowing leads but coming out with last-second wins, including a buzzer beater against the Suns. Uh, fun fact: The Kings lead the league in buzzer-beating win in buzzer-beater game winners in the fourth quarter over the last three years with six. 
Interesting. So the trend continues at the beginning of the season. Yeah, and I mean that that I mean that's not a sustainable formula for winning, of course, but uh, you... I would have thought it would be Portland with every all the big shots Dame Lillard seems to hit. Well, he doesn't need to hit game winners. At, he doesn't need to hit game winners right at the game ends because he'll just hit them with about eight seconds yeah. left and the other team will be too deflated to play well for the rest of the game. So that's a, that's a common thing with him. <laughs> all right, any other overachieving teams or should we move to player of the week? Uh, I think I already mentioned the overachieving teams in the other section, so let's move on to player of the week. Who is it? I gave it to John Morant very narrowly over Steph Curry. Actually, both of them averaged 30.4 points per game this week. But I have a feeling that my preseason MVP pick uh, will be getting player of the week a lot more times later in the season. Uh, He'll have some weeks where he scores over 30 per week. And I mean, it's technically a week and a half. If it was only last week, it probably would be him. Uh, But John Morant also scored 40 at some point this week and led the Warriors, or sorry, led the led the, the Memphis Grizzlies to their overtime win against the Warriors, which I think is really, really important. And he's played well. He played really, really well in that win. Maybe didn't necessarily outplay Steph Curry, but was definitely the catalyst for the Grizzlies. Uh, 30.4 points, 5.4 rebounds per game, 7.8 assists, 1.8 steals. And most importantly, sort of like a quarterback in the NFL, a point guard, you always want your team to be winning. 3-2 and two for Memphis to start the season is a pretty good record. And I think that the I think that he's deserving of praise. And frankly, I think he's kind of jumped into the MVP conversation early into the season. Uh, obviously, only five games in, you can't really judge that much. But if there's an early season breakout candidate, kind of similar to a Kenneth Walker in college football with the Heisman, uh, this it's John Morant so far. Because uh, there were a lot of candidates last year who. Um, got injured at the end of the year. You think of LeBron, you think of Joel Embiid, then you think of the reigning MVP, Nikola Jokic. You think of Giannis, who's won two MVPs. You think of Luka Doncic, who was like one of the preseason favorites last year. Uh, And then you also think of a lot, I mean, there's a lot of guys that you can name. You think of Steph Curry, who's my pick. And then Jaw's name really does not come up anywhere near those conversations just because his team isn't as good. Um, and all that stuff, but I, I think that if he can really keep improving like he has been, we all know he has the talent to be this good, to be MVP level good, that's why he was the number two overall pick, uh, and really in any year without Zion Williamson in the draft, he probably would have been a pretty easy number one pick, As he would have been a shoe in number one pick, uh, so Jaw's very talented, and I think he'll keep this play up all season, but I wanted to give him the early season mention just to put him on everybody's radars, I bet Steph will overtake him as the season goes on though for sure. Uh, and frankly, you could make the argument that he also had the better week, but I was picking between those two when I figured Steph will have a few more player of the weeks later in the season. <laughs> All right, well, that will end our look back at the NBA for the past uh, first week and a half of the season, actually. Uh, that also ends this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, November 1st, where we will see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions and discuss all the big action coming up in this weekend's college football and NFL slate. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his weekend predictions that were posted yesterday and his predictions for the entire college football and NFL seasons. All of that content is on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.